0: are in week three of this series, Fail Forward. And uh, I think we got two, one more week, two more weeks, something like that, and then we lead into Father's Day. Talked over several different topics. Today I want to look at how a change in identity can help us fail forward. If you have your uh, Bibles, our teaching text today is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, let me read it for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. and you don't need reconciliation unless there's been incredible failure inside of a relationship, right? When a relationship is broken, either both parties or one party has desperately failed. And so what I want to look at today is not the, the reconciliation part of this, but how you move through the failure in order to get to the other side and fail forward. And that's the means by which the reconciliation even happens. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence. Lord, thank you. Thankful that we don't do this alone, I pray that as we dive in and unpack your word today, that you would speak to our hearts, you would open our minds, and Lord, that you would form us and make us more like you. I pray that it would be your glory this morning, it would be your words and not mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Many of us know Abraham Lincoln, right? Right. He's on our money. We've got a big statue in Washington D.C. He's, not personally that would be a little weird right <laughs> no, but we all know of Avery. he's one of the most praised presidents in U.S. history right like no president is perfect okay politics are messy but but Abe Lincoln honest Abe right he is one of the most praised presidents and, I, and rightfully so right this is a little bit of a history lesson but don't worry there's not a test I used to hate history too okay but in 1860 he won the presidential election right and he was president for four years over those four years he preserved the Union during the Civil War, which is one of, if not the deadliest war in American history. He issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, declaring that all enslaved people in the rebel states were free. He supported the 13th Amendment in 1865, which abolished slavery throughout the nation. He signed the Homestead Act in 1862, which took 160 acres of land and it gave it to settlers to live on as long as they worked it and improved it for five years, which encouraged westward expansion and development. Abe Lincoln did an incredible amount for our country to move it forward in the right direction, right? He was concerned about the land and he was concerned about the people and he was looking out for the well being, right? He is a praised president and I think rightfully so, but his life was not always praiseworthy. He didn't exactly have the greatest background leading up to his presidency. In fact, he was born into incredible poverty. Uh, out of his control, but he had little formal education. He start, As his life kind of began, he started off on a really tough foot. He actually lost his mother when he was nine years old. Ten years later, lost his sister when he was 19. And these things were hard and difficult and out of his control. But as he uh, grew into adulthood, it, his life didn't exactly turn around. <laughs> right? He actually attempted Two different business ventures. He tried to open up a store and become a store owner. It failed miserably. Then he tried to be a land surveyor and have this business about surveying land. Again, failed miserably. It, those two businesses that failed cost him an exorbitant amount of money, mountains of debt that he now found himself under that he had to pay back over a long period of time. He uh, actually had some. Relationship issues. He proposed to a young lady named Mary Owens and later broke off that engagement. Like there's failed relationships and there's breaking off an engagement. Like that comes with some embarrassment and shame, right? He actually said that he felt obligated to marry her, but didn't love her. Not a a reason to get engaged. Failed relationships, failed businesses. In fact, before he he, uh, won the presidency in 1860, Listen to all of the elections that he actually lost. Let me take a deep breath. Illinois House of Representatives, Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and the Vice Presidency, and a few of those he lost multiple times. This is all before winning. Now, he did win a few elections, okay? It wasn't all losses, but his losses or his wins never outpaced his lost elections. Okay, Abe Lincoln was a failure. (laughs) Yes, He's praised, yes, he has success, but not before hardship, difficulty, and failure. And this actually all came to a head in Abe Lincoln's life in 1836. He had a public nervous breakdown. We would call it an anxiety attack today. It left him unable to work unable to socialize for several weeks, he was afraid that he was going to lose his mind, even contemplated suicide. In one of his letters he wrote to a friend, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were evenly distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. You ever been that low? In another letter he wrote that he was so near the final end that he could see it. That's pretty low. Lincoln went on to get professional help, right? He he received medicine and counsel, and I want to emphasize this, gradually recovered. It was a long process for him, but he eventually resumed practicing law and his political ambitions thanks to professional help, friends, and family. Now, I close with that detail because chances are, if not you, somebody you know has been in that place where they've contemplated suicide. This is an extremely serious issue, and I believe it's June is mental health month, which, how appropriate. But listen, if you find yourself in that situation, you cannot fight that battle alone. Seek help Call the suicide help hotline. If you need some help, come see me and I'll call it with you. You are not alone. You can't fight that battle alone. You must seek help. There's no shame in being that low. One of the highestly praised presidents in U.S. history was there. Now, maybe you haven't been that low. Maybe you haven't experienced that point where you've, you've stared suicide in the face. But my, chance, my My belief is that you've attempted something Were that is of significance, and in turn failed, and you've at least felt like Lincoln did in the first statement, where you felt so miserable that if your misery was shared with everybody, there would not be a single happy face. Failing has that effect on us when you truly mess it up, when you truly fall over yourself and fail on your face, it is. Miserable. When you put all of your heart and soul and energy into something just to see it crumble, it is absolutely crushing. Maybe it's a business venture. Maybe it's a marriage that has failed. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction just to relapse into it. Maybe you've mishandled money and now you're facing bankruptcy or you've lost control of your temper and ruined a relationship. When we are forced to face the fallout of our failures, it becomes a gut-wrenching Pain. A cloud of shame veils our our lives. I I put on a pair of one of my daughter's sunglasses this past week. Right, cheap three dollar sunglasses. They do no good for blocking out the sun. Right, (laughs) all they do all they do is just put this weird, blurry, dark shadow over everything. Right, all the colors go away. Now I have a nice pair of Costa's. Right, the colors pop even though you got shade. With these, it just veiled reality. And when we're in the midst of that depression, that anxiety, that failure, it's like all of reality has just got this weird shade, this weird cloud over it. If you've been there, you are not alone. I've been there multiple times in my life. I've found myself doubled over in the bed, not wanting to face life because of colossal failures that were nobody's fault but my own. So how do we move on? When we find ourselves in that place where we have failed and we're facing the consequences and we're facing the reality of that hardship, how do we move forward? How do we face our shortcomings? How do we fail forward? The first thing we have to realize is that you cannot define you. Our text today said that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself. It is through Jesus that we define ourselves. You cannot define you. We all have this picture in our mind. We all have this picture of a self in our mind of this person that we want to be. We, we tend to paint this image, we paint this self-image of this person that we want to be. Yes, it's probably, a, you want to be a good person, right? Like, yeah, I want to be good, but it's deeper than that. Some of us have this this identity that we wish to, to have in our lives. Maybe it's the, to be the best at your job, or to be, to, to be your own boss, or or maybe you want to be good at fixing things. Maybe if something breaks, you want to be the person that they call. Oh man, that I've got a, a hole in my wall. I need somebody to come fix it, right? Or oh, maybe it's not a, a physical thing, maybe it's a, a relationship. Somebody's going through a hardship. You want to be the person that they know they can call. Maybe it's the 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 life of the party, right? You want to be the one that's known for having fun or being funny maybe you want to be known for for we talked about in our life group we've got several ladies in here that love to do the homestead thing right you want to be known for growing your own food or making your own products so that you could do life like or maybe you want to be known for being great at organizing you can organize documents or you can organize businesses or you can organize a house like these are all great things things that we want to be known for but what happens is we pursue those with such intensity that they actually become an identity for us And we begin to say, I define myself through that lens. And when that happens, when that thing becomes our identity, let me quote Tim Keller. He says, if your identity is in your work rather than in Christ, success will go to your heads and failure will go to your hearts. Success to your heads and failures to your hearts. For me, one of these identities was something that I think is really good but its fatherhood i let the fact that i wanted to be a great father become an identity for me the way i found this out was through a would receive a compliment Right? I would receive a compliment, and man, I would just be overcome with this exuberant amount of joy. With somebody I can remember when Addie Lee was just a one-year-old, and I would take her into the store, or when I had my coffee ro- roasting business, I would take her to run these errands and do this stuff with me, and I'd get these comments, oh, look at that dad with his daughter. You never see that anymore. I love to see a dad with his kids, right? And it would just like make me over the moon. Like I would love the way that made me feel when somebody complimented my th- parenting. I wanted to be a great dad. I wanted to be a good partner with my wife as we led our girls. I wanted to serve my family well, but it went beyond the compliments. Soon, and I'm ashamed to say this, soon I began to talk down about, that's a pastor's way of saying, I began to gossip. It was sinful, right? About other parenting styles. Because see, there's a hundred different ways to parent your kids, right? And they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses and you can there's different ways to parent kids in healthy manners and so that they grow up to be healthy adults. There's not one way to do it. But what happened was I found success in my way or so I thought. And so when people didn't do it my way, I would talk bad about them. As a pastor, my daughter's five. It wasn't that long ago, Okay. I have repented of this. It's still a tendency that I have. When somebody does it differently, sometimes I'll, it comes from a place of I see my own weaknesses, and I want to belittle them so I feel better. Sometimes it's because the success has gone to my head. and i become proud, arrogant, hoity, because the success has gone to my head. But even more than that, the most significant and maybe the most relevant for our message today as I discovered this became an identity for me when I failed. I've talked about it before, I'm not gonna go into detail, but we were desperately trying to buy a home. We were desperately trying to buy a home for years. We finally went under contract, and we go, and we, I had made some stupid decisions, very stupid, okay, to the point that even when I think about it, it's like, this is one of those failures for me. And it actually caused us to lose our pre approval we finally get under contract on a house that we love and because of something that I did, I ruined it for my family. I can remember the shame and the guilt coming over me as I had to make the phone calls to the realtor and to other people saying, hey, never mind. As I had to have the conversation with my wife and my kids, hey, never mind. We lost this opportunity because of my actions. The shame and the guilt were unbearable. I would wake up and I'd go to work and I'd have that haze over my life. I could be at work and everything that happened, my mind would find a new route back to that focal point. Things that were completely irrelevant would somehow make me think of it. It seemed like there was no way to go on. That failure had reached my heart. Being a good father is a good thing, but I cannot place my identity. I can't define myself. When we do that, like Tim Keller said, and I'm going to edit here, maybe not just work. It could be your work. It could be fatherhood. It could be homesteading. It could be organizing. It could be any of those things that we talked about earlier. When that is our identity rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure to our hearts. We can become proud, arrogant, slowly destroying the relationships of the people who are closest to us, eventually destroying our life as we know it, where the failure goes to our heart, where we can't fail forward. You know why you get stuck in your biggest regrets? You know why you get stuck in that screw up from 10 years ago, why it still seems to haunt you? It's because it was an identity for you. And when we find our identity in that, we don't know how to move on learning from our errors. You cannot define you because the success will go to your head and the failure to your heart. You also can't define you because for a healthy identity has to be stable, right? And this might come as a shock to you. You are not stable, all right? I mean that, and I mean that in the best way, all right? As humans, we aren't stable, right? What does our culture say when it comes to finding your identity? Think about how culture defines it. You be you. You be true to yourself. Your desires are what matters most. Be true to yourself. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Okay, that's a frozen reference. I guess you gotta have a daughter, okay? So there's this sense of that's what, that's what our culture teaches and that's what we hold on to. We think that our desires is, what, is what's gonna make us happy. That's how we define, or we try to define ourselves. But here, if you, went, if you said, I wanna be true to myself, if you went to a psychologist and said, hey, I wanna be true to myself, do you know how they would respond? You know what they would say? They'd ask you, which self? Which self do you wanna be true to? Greg Henriquez, if I said that right, PhD, and he's a professor of psychology at James Madison University, says this, if you have ever been surprised by how you acted or felt confused, conflicted, or uncertain about who you truly are, or realize how dramatically different you feel in different situations or in different moods, then you know that this thing we call self can have many different and often competing facets or states. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Have you ever been in that place where you felt like a different person with this group or a different person with that group? Or when you're on the, the high and you have lots of energy, your coffee's kicked in, or when you get home from work and you're exhausted and you feel like two different people and you have two different reactions to the same situation, you know what it's like to have two different selves. Some psychologists talk about the false self, which is this mask that we put on in different situations so that people will approve of us and like us. The truth is you have many different selves, and I'm not talking about multiple personalities, okay? You have many different selves. We all have this idea, and we try to define ourselves through those selves. We bec- they become like these lenses, and I don't care what lens you try to use to define yourself. It doesn't work, You can look at yourself through the values of our culture, through the pride of your parents, through the status of your kids. We all have these different lenses that we value, and we use those things to determine our identity. But here's the problem. They all work like this. They all work like this. Here's my identity. If I achieve that identity, I feel great about myself. If I fall short of that identity, I hate myself. Your identity becomes all about what you can achieve, and the weight of having to achieve that status will eventually crush you, and you will be stuck in your failures. The first point in in failing forward today and using a new identity is you can't define yourself. The second is this. Your identity must be received, not achieved. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. This is that identity. Verse 18 says this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. That identity comes from God through Jesus, not from anything you can do. This is why I am so in love with Jesus. This is why I love the Christian faith so much. It is the only faith where your identity is received and not achieved. And every other religious system, and in this I'm including atheism, because it may not be a belief in God, but it is a religious system. Every other religious system says that if you obey, if you compete, if you follow the rules, if you perform, then you are accepted but not Christianity. Christianity says, I'm accepted in Christ and therefore I perform. Now this might not be the way you heard it growing up. Maybe growing up you were taught something different. Maybe you were taught if you perform well enough, then Jesus will love you. If you go to church, if you're a good boy or a good girl, you tuck in your shirt. If you don't get tattoos and you don't drink, you don't watch rated R movies unless it's about Jesus. And you don't as long as you you read your Bible, you pray, you fast, make sure during the songs in church you sing loud and, and read the hymnal. You know, just me okay, read, read the hymnal, don't be messing around with your friends. pay attention as long as you 're good, then maybe if you do that long enough, Jesus will let you into heaven when you die. That is not what the Bible teaches now holiness is important. our actions and our behaviors they matter, but that's not it's not a means of earning jesus approval. the Bible doesn't teach that holiness is the way to Christ. The Bible teaches that Christ is the way to holiness. Holiness isn't the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. How does this work? How does this work? At the end of our passage today, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him sin. What does it mean that he made him sin? Does it mean he made him sinful? Was Jesus up on the cross ticked off, full of self righteousness? I can see it. I was freaking perfect. And I got to deal with all of this stuff because of those stupid people. Was he mad about it? Was he full of pride and selfishness? No, Jesus was not sinful. So, what does this text mean when it says that he was made sin? It means he was made legally sin we have fallen short of the glory of God and in his righteousness, he can't just let evil take place. So what he does is he put himself in the place of sin. Jesus legally becomes sin and he dies on the cross. He's treated as a sinner and he does it in our place for our sake. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. If Jesus didn't have to sin to become sin, we don't have to be righteous become righteous you don't have to succeed to be successful you don't have to achieve achieve or perform to be accepted again does this mean that holiness doesn't matter absolutely not in fact the bible is really clear if you are living with habitual unrepentant sin you just keep on doing it and you don't care and you don't know jesus you are not saved John Wesley said that people aren't happy. The people aren't happy because the people aren't holy. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. Your holiness matters. But what it does mean is that your holiness does not save you or give you value. It is only Jesus that does that. And it says, there's something here that says might, right? It doesn't say you will, it says you might. Because while you don't earn your salvation, you must choose it. And when you choose it, that righteousness is yours. One of my uh, early girlfriends, before I met Lauren, okay? One of my early girlfriends was in ROTC, right? I don't know anything about ROTC all right, I don't know anything about how all that stuff works, but I did make this realization one time. She was in ROTC and they had these different, they have to wear a uniform like every third. They had that breastplate with all, the, I don't even know if it's called that, with all the medals and, and ribbons and things on it, right? And so what happened is they would approach someone. If that person was in uniform and they had, the right met, they had the right medals or ribbons on their breastplate, then they immediately had to salute. They had to stop what they were doing and snap to a salute. And it was a form of honoring not that person, but honoring the medal, right? They didn't know anything about that person. We'd have people visit from other schools or we'd be at events at like football games. They didn't, that person could have been good or bad. They had no idea the, the behavior, the status of that per- person, but they knew they had the right medal. And so they would honor that medal with the salute. Well, and this, this illustration can fall short, okay, but bear with me. What I'm trying to say here is that when you surrender your life to Christ, when Jesus becomes Lord of your, of your life, your allegiance is to him and him alone, God gives you the medals of Jesus, The honor that Jesus had, the price that he paid on the cross, the death that he died and the life that he lived, it becomes, it's given to you, not because of anything you've done, not because of your actions, but because of who he is. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You are held as righteous because of what Christ did for you on the cross. You cannot define you your identity must be received and not achieved and life in Christ is only is the only way that that happens when you surrender to him that means freedom failure is not fatal, failure is not final. You may fail and it may be upsetting and it may make things really difficult for a season, but ultimately we know that when we have failed, that that is not our identity, that is not our righteousness, and tomorrow is a new day. God's mercies are new every day and you can learn and you can grow and you can move on because that failure does not define you. Life in Christ, him on the cross, that is what defines you. And we begin to get so moved by that definition that it changes who we are. We begin to live holy and we begin to fail forward because our identity is not in these lenses, it's not in our fatherhood, it's not in whatever self you're trying to achieve. Your identity is in Christ. But you have to choose it. Are you willing to surrender to Him? When you are in Christ, you are in free and you can fail forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did die for us.